if we have a recession, if it's a if it's an intense recession, if we have a significant war or any other kind of factor that would affect their decisions on monetary policy, that could affect inflation, which suddenly would affect fair value. So I think in this conversation, the key takeaway would be we're still misaligned. Fair value is lower. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. We're now 10 months into 2022, and it's been a pretty dismal year so far for both stocks and bonds. Is relief in sight, or will the bruises keep coming? To find out, we've asked market specialist Ed Easterling of Crestmont Research to return to the program and share his latest outlook with us. Ed, thanks so much for joining us today. Adam, great to be with you. All right, Ed. Look, um, like I said, a lot's changed since we last had you on the program. Um, so let's just start at, at our regular high level. Um, what's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Well, and I think the key is to put in perspective that uh, Crestmont Research's approach to markets is more of a climate market climatologist than a market weather forecaster. So yeah. I offer these in the context of what we can expect in the horizon is more so than what's happening currently today. But I will say, that the fact that what's this process that we're experiencing today, this realignment um, is, uh, looks like it's, it's uh, uh, pushing investors around quite a bit and creating quite a, quite a turmoil in the markets. And I'm not sure that I would see that changing anytime soon. I think uh, there are a lot of factors that are still out of alignment and would expect that over the, over the uh, intermediate horizon that that will continue to, uh, to realign while the Fed gets its, uh, uh, gets its uh, act in order. Okay, so to use your climatologist language, um, this isn't just a passing squall. Um, you're, you still see storm clouds ahead as you peer out here. Well, I do. I, so this realignment, if you think back a year ago, a year ago, we had ultra low uh, artificially suppressed interest rates. Um, we were moving into a market that was a, a stock market that was on fire and headed to uh, beyond just high valuations into ultra valuations and, uh, and a lot of other, and just a, 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 a frothiness in across other markets um, that, uh, uh, that sort of led for something that wasn't sustainable. And I think what we're seeing now is that, that realignment as the Fed takes its uh, foot off of interest rates and gets them back more in line, again, monetary policy back in line. Uh, at the same time, a year ago, we had, a, uh, and again, accelerating it into it wasn't over yet, uh, a push into very aggressive fiscal policy. So we had a lot of things going on in the economy and the financial markets that we're driving misalignments. What we're seeing right now is that realignment process. And I'm saying it, and I, I don't see that it's, it's near done. I think there's a lot of realignment to still, still happen. Okay. So correct me if this is an incorrect statement, but it sounds like you're saying we're, we're still in the early innings of this realignment as best you can tell. Uh, let's see. I, uh, well, if, if it's okay, I will say we're somewhere in the middle of the game and we okay. may be moving toward the end of the game. Um, and it can happen. It can accelerate pretty quickly, but, um, but it's uh, uh, but but I think we're in the same we're in, we're in the same ball game. Okay, and and sorry, just since I raised this, um, so uh, is it more accurate to say maybe we're in the middle of the ball game, uh, but the activity perhaps picks up in the latter innings, right? In other words, um, uh, is it more like an exponential type function where you 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 it, it begins slowly, but but the speed of it picks up near the end? Would not, would not, that would not be a surprise. That would, uh, that would be a, a, a more of a common occurrence uh, that you would anticipate that um, uh, that the momentum would 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 push into the to the end of the game. Yes. Okay. So maybe halfway through the time, but maybe not yet halfway through the magnitude. Okay. 
Um, all right. So uh, I, I want to get to valuations. You just mentioned we we had high and, and ultra valuations. I like that term, ultra valuation. I hadn't heard that before. Um, I do want to get to, okay, so where do you see valuations today? Um, how far down have they come to quote unquote fair value? Are they are they a lot closer or there's still a lot more room to, to potentially be covered here as things continue to realign? Before I get there though, um, in terms of what's driving the action at this point, you, know, you said there were a lot of things that, that have sort of changed from last year to now. Um, what do you think is driving the market activity the most right now? Is it policy? Is it the unfolding economic data? Is it just the fundamentals on the ground or, or is it market technicals? Uh, I'm sure it's a little bit of, I'm sure all of them are playing a role, but is there one that's one or two that are playing more right now in terms of pushing things around? I think the technicals are pushing things around. I think the market fundamentals, uh, if the market were to decide that it wanted to, to realign back to fair value, uh, it would uh, uh, it would more quickly move it would it would move downward somewhat. Uh, now I don't know. Uh, again, there are a lot of factors there. What's the ultimate inflation rate, long term inflation rate that we land on? Um, and again, that is something that is changing somewhat. So um, <clears throat> so it it's um, as you kind of a key fundamental principle in our conversation is that I believe that fair value in the market in the stock market is driven by the long-term expected inflation rate, that when inflation goes up, that tends to drive valuations down. And when inflation comes down to low and steady rates, then it tends to, to, move, to move valuations up. Uh, basically, it's a, uh, again, our last conversation, it's a present value effect. Got it. So the reason that's important is the current expectation for inflation long-term, at least the measure I'm looking at, is about 2.2%. And, um, and three months ago, the number was close to 2.1%. Uh, that's the five-year, five-year forward rate. Now, in the meantime, it got close to 2.5%. So at 2.5%, if that were to stick, that would suggest a lower PE, fair value, than if it's down here closer to 2%. And frankly, if it slips below 2, that would even support an even stronger, and um, an even higher fair value a PE ratio. So I would, I would say right now, rather than predict that the market has to go down more than it's already gone down, I would say the market has to ultimately find fair value. And that fair value will be determined based upon the outcome of inflation. And that's going to be determined a lot by Fed policy. And Fed policy is going to be determined by the level of conviction and what we run into in terms of the, just the economic turmoil. So I, I, if we have a recession, if it's, a, if it's an intense recession, if we have a significant war or any other kind of factor that would affect their decisions on monetary policy, that could affect inflation, which suddenly would affect fair value. So I think in this conversation, the key takeaway would be we're still misaligned, fair value is lower, and we should watch for these factors that there's that the turmoil, all these things that I just mentioned, are the kinds of factors that drive a lot of turmoil and drive a lot of change. Just in three months to have that five-year forward expected inflation rate move from almost 2% to over 2.5%, that's a big shift in a three-month period. Now it's back down. The good news is it's back down. People are getting more confidence in the Fed. Okay, great. So uh, look, I'm, I'm going um, to put the, the five-year, five-year forward inflation expectation rate chart up here right now. Uh, this is from the Federal Reserve. Um, it, can, it, it shows here, as you were just saying, 
Ed, that uh, it was uh, whenever that was uh, early in the year, it was around 2%. Uh, it spiked up above 2.6%, um, looks like kind of in late spring, and it's been sort of trending down since. Um, if, if you can just explain a little more clearly to folks about exactly how this chart works. So you said that when inflation, well, well first off, can you talk about just sort of how that's, it's being calculated here when they talk about the five-year um, five forward inflation expect, expectation rate? What, sure, what are this, those two components? Yeah, th this is a really interesting approach that the St. Louis Fed takes. So um, we have five-year interest rates and we have 10-year interest rates. And if you take the 10-year interest rate, effectively, it's the five-year interest rate plus an expectation of what the following five years are going to be, right? Because if you subtract the five-year rate out of the 10-year rate, you get the expected five-year rate five years from now. You Makes can also, sense. using inflation-adjusted securities, look at the inflation expectation using treasury inflation-protected securities over the next five years to look at the expectation for inflation over that five years. You can do the same thing for the 10-year period. So what you're able to do is using these instruments is look at the market's expectation of what the inflation rate is going to be starting in five years for the subsequent five-year period. Okay, so to your point, and, and I'll put the, the chart back up here again, um, the, the market at the beginning of the year was thinking that, okay, um, five years from now, the Fed's going to have contained inflation. It's going to be keeping at its target 2% rate. Right. It got more nervous uh, as the year went on in the first six months of the year. And then, as you said, uh, it's now looks like it's it's beginning to regain some confidence in the Fed that, OK, I think the Fed is actually going to get this under control. It's not back to 2% yet, but it's it's on its way there. And and absolutely. And if, if we go back and look at some of the statements, not just from the official statements from the Fed, but some of the, the policy presentations, some of the, the discussions that some of the members, uh, board members have have had over that period, you'll notice that there were times when they became more vigilant. Their, the press became um, began to say, looks like Powell is really serious. looks like they really are going to tackle inflation. Their reputation is, uh, is on the line. And so I think the market began to, uh, to sort of see that as an as a indication that the Fed really was going to stick with it. So I think there's every indication that they're going to. It's just um, maybe that's in the expectation of a, of a soft to moderate landing. What if we end up with a hard landing or a deep recession? Do they stick with it? What, what if we do have a, a war situation? Is that the time to be fighting um, inflation as aggressively as they are today? I, again, I don't have the answers to this. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just saying, if you think about some of the factors that are coming into play in our global economy and global environment, there's more uncertainty, not less than there as, as time is going on. Got it. And, and because you said that... Um low inflation is typically correlated with higher PEs and vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, as we see the, uh, the expected inflation rate, future inflation, uh, sorry, the expected future inflation rate begin to creep down, then that is, you know, basically lends some optimism to future stock prices, correct? That, that, that raises the fair value PE. The market Sorry, that raises the fair value now, as opposed to what you would expect to happen in the market, that, that can be different than what the fair value would be. And that's what we've experienced the last year or two is a disconnect between fair value and and the and the, and the actual market price. Were. Right. Okay. All right. Well, look, so let's move on then to a couple of other data points sure. you have around valuation. Um, 
uh, we can tackle this any way you like, but I, I think your your dividend yield um, analysis here is is really interesting because that seems to be um, one of the better predictors of fair value, and we seem to be at some extremes right now still. And so that is that is one thing that I I've I put on the website and also in the book uh, books is uh, often I use I speak to dividend yield as a good uh, validator, as a good confirmer of the level of PE and the level of valuation. In reality, I'm not sure it's not a better indication. So we're talking about the dividends that are paid over the price of the market, dividend yield. And we tend to find that companies are slow to, as earnings go through the business cycle, they're slow to, to run up with earnings when earnings are surging so they can avoid having to cut dividends when we see the when we see the business cycle cycle down, mm-hmm. so dividends and dividends over time are more stable. What you see in the dividend chart is that we're that dividend yield is currently about one point nine percent, one point eight five according to S and P. I just put the number out for, for September thirtieth. Um, that's in the lowest ten percent of all periods since nineteen hundred, and you might ask the question, but wait a minute we're down significantly from the end of the year. Well, at the end of the year, dividend yield had gotten down to close to below 1.4%, almost 1.3. Wow. And that's in line with where dividend yield had gotten to. And if, if you look at the chart, if, and that, that dividend chart that you're putting up shows low, low yields associated with high, high PEs. And that's actually the, that, that's actually the very end of the dot-com boom when we saw Again, another period of ultra valuations that drove down ultra low dividend yields. And so today, even though we've had a significant decline in the market, it has brought down PE, it has brought down dividend yield, but we're not down to the levels that would typically be associated with inflation that's above 2%, inflation expectations of over 2%. Got it. All right. And I think one of the questions that this sort of raises is, okay, well, maybe companies have just brought their dividends down, right? Um, but they haven't. It's quite the opposite, right? Well, that's, and that's in the, in the S&P commentary. It's uh, basically, it's 10 years in a row of record dividends in dollars and an expectation that next year will be the 11th year in a row. So no, it's, it's not that, there's, that there was some, a bunch of cuts during the, during the pandemic or something that has dividend yields artificially out of line. This is this is in the face of, of record growth in dividends. All right. So when you look at this, what, what level of overvaluation do you see in the markets there? You know, obviously, what I take from what you're saying is, is companies are paying record dividends, yet the dividend yield is historically low, which means that prices have to be historically high, or valuations need to be historically high um, relative to dividends here. So... Uh, how stretched are they? How far from fair value using this metric do you do you think see we are? Not I. Uh, let's see. I would say at this point, um, the if we only look at dividend yield, it would suggest that we are still. Um, uh, it's hard to, again hard to put a percentage on it, and again time it'll it'll change depend, based on the the level of inflation's change, but uh, but it's not hard to imagine that we're um, more than ten percent, but. We're not all the way to um, uh, a significantly higher number than that. I hate to throw a number out that would be uh, overly alarming, but um, it's uh, and markets tend to go past for value. 
So that's the other piece. Remember, we're having a conversation about where is fair value. Right. At the very end of that, at the very end of those uh, uh, pessimistic trends, uh, the troughs often end up below fair value. Right. Markets tend to overcorrect when they move, when the pendulum swings. Right. right. I, now, that what this does raise, though, is I don't think we can just look at dividend yield in isolation. I think we also need to be considering price earnings ratio and, and, and normalized price earnings ratio and, and, and other metrics. Um, the biggest challenge when we start going down that, and I, I write about that in the, in the quarterly commentary this year, is, um, is watching for earnings. Uh, starting last year, earnings surged for S&P 500 companies. Uh, it was such a significant surge that if you look at the reported PE using reported earnings, it looks like it's getting back to the high teens and that's getting pretty close to fair value. But that's assuming that you believe that will sustain that almost that significant surge, not quite a doubling, but a significant increase in the level of earnings. If instead that is a temporary surge, and we expect that to revert back through a business cycle trend or otherwise, then valuations are still in the mid to upper 20s. If you look at the CAPE valuation today, CAPE is, is, in, the, uh, is in upper 20s and, and the Crestmont PE is in the upper 20s. Um, those values in this environment should be closer to 20. Okay, so on the, on the, um, the, the ways in which you analyze PE, it looks like we are elevated from uh, where you think fair value may lie. Um, that's just looking at the PE ratio. Um, I, you were showing me a chart before we hopped on here um, of uh, earnings per share, yes. um, which is which is the E in PE. Um, and, and that seems to just be in a historic uh, departure <laughs> from, uh, from the regression line, I'll put it that way. Um, do you want to speak to that data? Because this seems really fascinating. Um, let's see. I, I'll uh, sure because I, I think to me that's if you said what's the one variable right now that's the most uncertain and it can have the most significant impact on the market, both financially, but also psychologically. If if earnings have upshifted to a new higher level upon which they will then continue to grow. Then, um, then that's a real statement about the about the level of valuation in the market. We've also got to would also have to explain why earnings could upshift to such a high level. In other words, sustain perpetually higher profit margins versus the last century. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, we've we've got your chart up here. Okay. We're seeing the line of reported uh, EPS just do a moonshot after 2020, then you've got the S&P forecasted EPS on top of that, showing it, you know, continuing uh, to go even higher. Um, this is at a period where, um, yes, companies until recently have been reporting record uh, earnings and record profit margins, but it's now we're in a, an environment where companies are, are disappointing as earnings come in Q2, now, now Q3 starting. And um, there's a lot of debate over how future earnings forecasts haven't been brought down yet. But, but most people that are looking through a macro lens are saying, hey, the economy is slowing fast. Corporate profits are going to be you know, in the process of getting squeezed um, both on the demand side at the top end and on the cost side on the bottom end, as well as cost of capital. 
Um, so this does stand in stark contrast to what most macro analysts are seeing when they look out through their, you know, their their future telescopes. They're seeing earnings compression, but this does not seem to be showing any of that. And not yet. And I guess that's that's the key, though, is um, and and will we see? So much in like the chart that you 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 showed, and it's one of the one of the more popular sites on the website right now, and, and I include it in each of the quarterly updates. Um, included embedded in that chart is the history of forecasts um, that S&P provides from a series of analysts uh, that shows that historically they would start out two years in advance predicting a certain level for earnings and pretty consistently through a lot of the last 10 years or more, it ended up lower than that at the end as things converged into the final number. Um, we, we're just beginning to see that shift occur in the last period or two for the 22 and 23 earnings forecast. So I think what I would do though, is step back for a second and look and there are two key takeaways from this chart. Let's look at the big line on the bottom, which is the earnings since, since, since 1970. What's most notable is how much time we're spending above the long-term trend line for earnings. Um, so again, one plausible scenario that we, I, could, I could absolutely argue for is that that there was a reason that earnings have upshifted and that we're going to be at this new higher level and it's not going to revert down. Um, that this time actually is different. And I know those are scary words and I, I do have a, a, an article on the website. It's in the featured section called the big shift that in 2018 offered a plausible explanation on why we would have an upshift in earnings. Again, it's provocative and I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that that's one scenario that's defendable. The second that's defendable is whatever reason we got out of line and we're getting ready to revert back. The business cycle is going to revert back. It's not over. Uh, the last hundred years of data is, is in, in, in economies and the way the economy's changed over that period of time and it'll bring earnings back down closer to that base trend line. If that happens, then that's basically the, the PE 10 CAPE scenario. And that's the Crestmont PE scenario that says we normalize earnings and we have a PE ratio that's in the upper 20s and it should be closer to the 20 level at this level of inflation. So I'm, I'm sorry that wasn't very helpful to give you a prediction, but what it does is it frames the environment. There are it, two- it does, right. And you had said earlier that that when you were talking about PEs and what fair value is, is it really depends on how confident you are that earnings are going to be able to remain at, at the levels they're at. Um, and so I guess my question for you is, is um, clearly looking at the, the smaller chart embedded here, um, earnings forecasts for 2022 and 2023 have not corrected as we get closer uh to the end period for those years, like they have for almost all the years before, right? So if they're gonna correct, they haven't corrected yet. And um, asking you to put your macro hat on for a moment, um, it does look like earnings are gonna be more challenged going forward, at least in the next couple of quarters. Um, so do you do you, do you see this as, as, so when you said, hey, either something, either it's different this time or things are gonna mean revert, um, do you have a, do you have an opinion of which one of those is more likely? Um, I, I don't, but what I can do is uh, provide a comment that will then sew this back up and we'll take any, uh, um, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll reconcile those two scenarios. Okay. Those two scenarios, although at this point in our conversation, it sounds like 
if earnings stay higher, as they are in that chart, and that's the new level to grow against, that suddenly that's the earnings number to multiply times 20 to get the market's value. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that if the reason that earnings have upshifted is because we're in a slower growth environment. So by having a slower growth environment, historically, let's assume you had a dollar a share in earnings and that was going to grow at 3% a year. And I came to you, Adam, and I said, can I have that? What price do I need to pay for it? And you would say $20. I said, that's great. That's fair. That gives me a fair return. If I said, instead, how about if I give you this dollar at 2% growth? You would say, well, no, 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 no. I don't want that. That's worse than a dollar at 3% growth. Right. So I would say, what's your value that you want? What's the, what's the, what's, how can I adjust those earnings? And you would say, well, if you give me a dollar 50, hypothetically growing at 2% a year, that's pretty close. I'll take that. Mm -hmm. The reality is we now have a dollar 50 as our, as our starting earnings, but a value didn't change. It's still $20. Mm -hmm. What changes is the multiple. So if the scenario that's on the, that was on the earnings chart screen that shows that surge in earnings, we need to make sure that we appreciate that the, that the likely reason that surge is the recognition of slower growth and slower growth is going to downshift the fair, fair value of PE. So rather than talking about a 20 PE in a low inflation environment, we should talk about a 15 PE in a low inflation environment. So the reality is if we've upshifted earnings due to slow growth, according to the big shift, the article, that would suggest that fair value hasn't changed, but that the fair value PE has changed and we're still way away. The, the current reported PE of 19 is still quite a bit away from fair value, even though it would sound like it was close to fair value if you, if you, now, there's, let me just close and say, the third scenario is earnings have upshifted. They're still going to keep growing at the historical rate for whatever reason. And those higher profit margins are going to be sustained in a competitive economy. And again, I can't, I can't defend that case. But to me, that, that would be, that's the, uh, that's the optimist scenario. We're going to keep, right. we're going to upshift earnings. We're going to keep them growing as fast as they've ever grown before. We're going to keep PEs high. I mean, that just, I, I can't defend that scenario. The other scenarios are internally consistent. Higher earnings, lower growth, lower PE. If I offered you a basket of stocks that had lower growth versus a basket of stocks that had higher growth, you would pay a lower valuation for the low growth stocks. Right. right. So I'm not offering up any scenario that isn't that everybody doesn't incorporate in their investment thinking every day. Okay. All right. So we've we've just touched on the five-year, five-year forward in, inflation expectation rate. Uh, we talked about the dividend yields uh, and their historic, you know, where they are in the historic data set. Um, we talked about the um, uh, your PE ratios, your adjusted PE ratios, and uh, what earnings per share are telling us right now. Um, I guess maybe one last data point of yours. Um, you have the the 650 rule there at Crestmont. Um, perhaps you could just describe that briefly and, and explain why it's currently in overdrive. Okay. The 650 rule, uh, something I came across years ago, decades ago, was that uh, so that we have the yield curve, which of course is the interest rate for each mat term maturity going out from three months to 30 years. So let's say from one year to 30 years. And what I found was historically that in any six month period with about a 97% accuracy, one of those yields or more of those yields will move by 50 basis points, a half a percentage point up or down. So what it says is that interest rates, yields are much more volatile than people expect. So we could look at the yield curve today at interest rates along the spectrum from one to 30 years. And within the next six months, 
you could put a band half a point above it and half a point below it, there's a 97% chance that somewhere along the curve, it's going outside of that range. And so the reason I say that we're in overdrive is in the last three months alone, every point along that yield curve has more, moved more than 50 basis points. And some of them have moved multiples of that. So right now, we're seeing a, a significant volatility in rates. All right. And so what do you see as the implications of that? The implication would be that if I told you today that uh, in the next six months, we're going to like, we're, that there's a high probability to see another 50 basis point move. Um, and it's up to you to decide whether you think it's 50 lower or 50 higher, or maybe one part of the curve is 50 lower and maybe another part of the curve is 50 higher, but somewhere it's going to move more than 50 basis points. The implication of that would be that, um, that we're in a, and that recently the, prop, the, the magnitude of those moves has even been greater that just suggests that we're in a period of a lot of volatility, a lot, a lot of, of volatility. financial yeah. so volatility, a lot of financial volatility. Got it. So, uh, and so, so I think so the implication. Like, yes. Expect more volatility, the volatility to continue is what you're saying here when we're at these levels. When we're, when we're at this level of volatility, I don't see anything that's going to cause it to, to, to change. I think the main thing about the 650 rule is just, um, is not to think that if it changed, it would go back to, I think there are a lot of folks that often believe, matter of fact, it's interesting how if you look at forecasts for interest rates at the first of the year, they publish them in a lot of the financial press. It's amazing how many of the forecasters will actually predict short-term and long-term interest rates to be relatively close to the current rate. Mm -hmm. and, and I look at that and just like you chuckle every year because I'm sitting here going, what do you mean? that They predict that for the year. By, and within six months, one of their predictions is wrong. Right. It's going to move by more than 50 basis points. And that's 97% probability. I mean, it's, it's, it, and in an environment like this, where there are all these factors that are out of line, the probability goes up or the magnitude goes up even greater. So I think the yeah, key well, would be, it, it's not, it, it's unlikely to settle down anytime soon. If it does settle down, it's still going to be volatile. Okay. All right. So that basically says, at least in bonds, expect continued price volatility here. Um, yes. Because as interest rates moves, bond prices moves, and we're having bigger interest rate moves uh, than normal is basically what your data set is saying here. And of course, we've got the Fed out there saying, hey, look, you know, we're, we're planning on 75 basis points next time, and we might be doing more. So I mean, they're, they're out there talking volatility, if you will. And then, of course, on the other side of that trade, you have a lot of the markets still saying, well, we think you're going to pivot and at some point bring rates back down, right? And if, if the Fed brings rates back down, especially if it's forced to by some sort of financial instability, well, you might think that it might be making big changes too to the interest rates as it goes the other direction. So there's lots of reasons to continue to expect this volatility is what I'm saying. I think so, yes. Okay, all right. Well, look, um, let's make this practical for folks here. Um, uh, so you, you, we got deep into the, the, the data. I'm gonna pull back a little bit right now. Um, just in terms of, I'm gonna ask you sort of your macro outlook and then your market outlook. Um, and I understand that we are, prognosticating here, just like a weather, a meteorologist does when, when, when you're talking about events that are further out than the next 24 to 48 hours, it really does become conjecture, but your expertise, I think leads me and many others to put more faith in your conjecture here. Um, from a macro standpoint, um, what do you see happening? Well, I guess what's your general macro outlook and, and in your answer, if you can address whether you think whether you have confidence the Fed is going to start getting inflation under control, um, and also, do you see us heading into recession, uh, or is there a way we can manage to avoid it here? So, I, I, you know, my view is that that um, uh, there is a, a significant 
but not a certain risk of a recession. Uh, my view would be that the Fed intends to, it sounds, it looks like they're going to be vigilant. Uh, matter of fact, more than I would have originally expected. It uh, looks like they have reputation on the line. And, and as well, it looks like they, they recognize um, the, the pain that inflation causes a lot of people and that they need, they need to address that. Um, and that they, they made some, they, that they're late to the party and that they like to, the, 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 to address this and, and they're trying to catch up. And it looks like they're, they're committed to do that. At the same time, I think that they've already indicated that they're willing to risk that recession. So it doesn't make it certain, but I think it would suggest that if, uh, if, uh, if the normal course plays out, that those are the kinds of things that would be reasonable on the horizon. At the same time, we have all these other macro factors, all these other geopolitical factors that could, could change that. And I think we ought to be vigilant that if for some reason we look back and the Fed was on course and then suddenly a war broke out or some other event that was unexpected, some significant default or otherwise, that a financial, mar financial market crisis could, could change their actions in the short term. Right. Um, this being said, I think the key thing is in our discussion that focus, I'd say focused on the five-year, five-year forward rate as an early indication that things are getting uh, out of line, out of control. Uh, and I think that has implications for investment strategy. I would as well watch earnings um, to try to figure out, again, uh, whether, that, uh, whether we're going to stay at that upper plateau or whether things are coming down. Uh, the implication would be that the, regardless of any of that, I think the market is still overvalued in relation to the current level of inflation. If inflation comes down below 2%, if that five-year five for your forward rate goes to one and a half or 175, then we're getting, we're getting a lot closer to, to fair value. To fair value. Uh, okay. Yeah. Great. So, so um, those are two great things to watch. So um, we can watch the five-year five-year forward expectations. And um, it gives us sort of a sense of, it's almost like a scorecard, if you will, on how well the Fed is expected to engineer the outcome they're trying to engineer. And so if it keeps dropping, like you said, below, below two, um, it's a way to say sort of like, okay, you know, inflation is going to be lower going forward. And as you said, we're, we're, we get closer to fair value wherever things are priced. If it starts going the other direction, it's a sense of sort of loss of confidence in, in the Fed achieving their objective and uh, an indicator that we are we are moving further away from fair value on the over uh, side, uh, given current valuations. Now, on the earnings side of things, you said to watch the earnings. Um, and the good news on this is, is we're about to enter into earnings seasons here. So we're going to have a pretty good update on things, how things are doing on the earnings side, you know, over the next couple of weeks here. Um, and presumably, don't let me put words in your mouth, but if, if we see a lot of earnings disappointments and downgrading of future earnings forecasts by companies, um, that lends a lot more weight to today's levels as being you know, inflated uh, above fair value, correct? The, I think the message would be that um, it would not be surprising if we saw that elevated level of earnings dip as we come into a slow period or even a moderate, even a recession, but then respond. So just because that comes down doesn't mean that the business cycle is reverting. Matter of fact, that's the most challenging thing with watching earnings is I don't know that the next six or 12 months is going to give us a signal about whether this um, big shift in earnings is temporary and therefore, we're going to revert back to the original levels, right? Or permanent. or whether we, we're up there, but we're just cycling 
from that higher level. I, I would rather we be in a strong economy right now to, to prove that up. I'd re- much rather see us, it'd be much more uh, indicative that that big shift has not occurred if we had a above average growth, but we saw earnings margins dropping. Right. Just seeing them drop in a recession, we'd, you'd expect that anyway. So that, right. that matter of fact, if anything, I think the biggest challenge we have is the no- is we're in an environment now where there's a lot of noise and the key is looking through the noise. And I think if nothing else, the, the, the goal of understanding the, the processes in the financial markets and the economy is to, is to eliminate the things that don't make sense so that we can try to, try to pick from the short list of, the, of what does make sense. Yep. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, look, so uh, shifting sort of to your market outlook here, and we're, we're going to have a little bit of the same tension of trying to, you know, come up with sort of actionable guidance for people versus, you know, just having to develop an overall understanding of the process and let people make their, their initial decisions. But, um, you know, the market has been currently in a bear market for this year in terms of the percentages that the major indices have come down. We've had a lot of discussion on this channel with previous uh, experts who have lived through a number of, of bear markets who have said, you know, this doesn't seem like it's over and they have their whole litany of, of reasons why. Um, uh, do you have a, uh, looking at the process the way that you do, do you have a sort of probabilistic opinion as to um, where things are headed from here? Um, you know, in other words, is, is this is this bear market played out? Um, is it is it near its bottom? Or I guess, as we were talking about earlier, you know, are we are we maybe halfway through it, but the the worst of the declines are still ahead of us because things tend to speed up near the end. Um, and when I get to investment philosophy, two things come to mind. The first is I think we're in an environment today where investors need to be rowing, proverbially rowing, not sailing, using that boatsman's analogy that says this is not the time to put your money in the market and enjoy the ride because the momentum is not upward and, um, and this is a volatile period. So instead, the goal is to be rowing in a more active, diversified approach. And that's where I would say, I think in this environment, what I've tried to advocate through the year has been this is an environment to diversify risks, not diverse, not necessarily just diversify assets. And so by that, it means as you invest across the various assets, if if you're just breaking things into subcategories, but you're but you're at ultimately all of your risk is in the stock market, you haven't diversified your risks. But instead, look for the types of securities that are available that aren't highly correlated or at least have a lower correlation than, than big parts of the other parts of the portfolio. So as you go through this period of turmoil, that, that it, you're basically taking the tortoise strategy rather than the hare strategy, the rowing strategy rather than, the, than the, the sailing strategy. The strategy that says right now, preservation of capital, and this kind of ties back to Warren Buffett's great advice, right? What's the first rule of, first rule of investing is don't lose money. Right. And the second rule is don't forget the first rule. Yeah. And one way to do that, because a 50% drawdown takes a 100% return just to get back to even. So I think the best advice is diversify so that through this turmoil, you can participate to some extent in either preservation or increasing capital. But this is, this is not, unless you're a trader, a trader can, have a, 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 can do very well in this marketplace, but at the same time can do very poorly in this marketplace. Um, but for investors, 
I would, I would suggest diversifying risk, not diversifying asset, more than just diversifying assets. Okay. That, that's great and very helpful constructs uh, to keep in mind. So um, can you share some potential ways in which people could diversify from just the general market? So there's general markets, generally stocks and bonds, right? So as, as someone says, okay, I want to diversify out beyond that. Are we talking about... Um, you know, real estate? Are we talking about hard assets? Are we talking about, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, some would say cryptocurrency. What, what other types of, of asset classes would you recommend that people go out and, and consider right now? Or, you know, not, not, not necessarily buy into, but they should just look at and evaluate. And I, I would say, so it would, um, and I would I, so this is kind of a generic list uh, and it always depends on fair value. Uh, you mentioned real estate. Uh, that's a, a great asset to look at. And there are a variety of ways to look at real estate. There's real estate uh, holding the real estate asset itself for its appreciation. It's real estate, there's real estate leases. There are people who buy real estate and fix it up and then sell it. Uh, and there are various REITs that do those different strategies. Um, each of them have a different source of risk and return than the other. Um, so it's not enough just to say REIT, it's, it's to say diversify the risk element that's in that REIT. Um, yeah. Likewise, there are master limited partnerships uh, again, it depends on fair value and depending upon which sector you're looking at that that provide um, more stable cash flows that are dependent upon factors other than just market valuation. So I, I would say uh, I know that stocks and bonds will typically hold a significant portion of most investors' portfolios. I think the goal there is to look at ways to invest in even in, in, in uh, uh, stock market uh, exposure that can be more um, risk protected. And again, I'm not advocating any of these, but I'm just suggesting a structure of that. Convertible preferreds um, can, can uh, have at times have provided an opportunity to have upside and yet protect downside and provide some yield. So right. there are it, it, lots, it, of different, lots of different approaches and strategies. What I, what I don't have is a list of securities or, 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 um, uh, or, or sectors that I would suggest you go into right now because they're looking attractive. That just isn't what I do. That, that's right, not, right. I'm a market climatologist, and so I stay with the big picture. But at the same time, I think it's reasonable to suggest looking at, at uh, the ways to look at those different sectors. All right. So um, let me, as we wrap things up here, let me ask you this question. Um, and again, I'm trying to ask them from the climatologist point of view. Um, so let's say the market bottoms wherever it's going to bottom mm -hmm. tomorrow, a year from now, whatever. Um, what signs are you going to be looking at? You said there's a lot of noise right now. What, what signs, what are you going to be looking for types of signs that you're going to be looking for that would give you a sense of now is a better time to deploy capital than perhaps where we are today. Okay. I think I would, uh, so I would certainly look for um, lower valuations that are attractive in relation to the, le the expected level of inflation. Um, so we would look for, I'd, I'd also look for, uh, there's a, it tends to be a pretty good correlation between counter correlation, inverse correlation between volatility and market trend. So I would begin to, if you begin to see market volatility trend down, even getting down back below average, you know, volatility is up a good bit right now. Mm -hmm. So I'd watch indicators like the VIX, um, you know, the, 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 the standard, the, the, the statistical measures of volatility as well. VIX is a good measure for folks to watch. Um, when that starts settling down, we're likely to see that that may be indicative of some support for a rising market. Uh, the other would be um, 
when we when we get back to a uh, a more ideally it would uh, we'd, we'd see the, a yield curve uh, get back into uh, uh, to a more normal pattern of uh, of a positive yield curve, yeah, uh, and you would curve. see a, a more normal spread between long term rates and the expected rate of inflation. Right now, we're just a little bit elevated on that on that spread. Okay, Indi- okay. indicative of that the Fed has just tightened up, and so I would, uh, uh, if anything, I'd be watching for and I'd try to anticipate Fed policy. If you're trying to if you're trying to time the move, I, I think that's I think what you've asked Adam, which is a, the question everyone asks, uh, is um, uh, when will I know when will I know the bottom is here? So, so I know to get in, and I would say uh, uh, I would tend to look for confirmation that we're coming out of the bottom. I'm going to give up that last dime on right, the bottom. Right. Don't 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 try to don't try to pick the absolute bottom. I mean that's sort of what I was looking for was sort of the all clear. Right, um, not not the hey the bottom's coming in right now, but just hey we think the storm is over and you know we're beginning to see shafts of sunlight come on down. Well, look, thank you so much, Ed. Um, as the uh, macro and market uh, you know weather patterns continue to shift here, I'd uh, love to have you back on to you know kind of give an update to folks on what your your climatology model is suggesting. For folks that want to learn more about uh, you and your work there at Crestmont, where should they go? I would suggest uh, CrestmontResearch.com. Uh, CrestmontResearch.com. You'll find uh, it's, it's an open access website, uh, no subscriptions or, or ads. And uh, it's a, uh, basically it's an information website to provide uh, the, um, the, some of the charts and graphs that we have talked about today, as well as others. And, uh, uh, and if, if anything, I, I would suggest that uh, uh, in, there's a free video set uh, series based on the first book. So again, I'm not even trying to sell a book here. Uh, but the free video series about unexpected returns that I think provides a lot of the concepts that we discussed today about trade-offs uh, and about the uh, and so I I would I would say that what I'm offering is a is a um, is the uh, the processes behind the market and the economy and the relationship between the economy and the market um, more so than what what what, a, what, a, what someone who visits the site won't find is a model uh, to plug into or a model of the of the climatology of the marketplace. What they will find is insights about the principles uh, that bring those relationships of economics and finance together. Um, and I think that's the, and the principles like the reconciliation principle of evaluation, that there are only three factors that drive valuation. And some of the things we talked about today, just in different terms. So uh, what investor will find is that um, uh, they'll find that at the website. Great. So they'll sort of find the fundamental underpinnings of, of the, the framework in which you use. Great. All right. Um, and, that, and that's at the CrestmontResearch.com uh, uh, website? CrestmontResearch.com website. Great. Okay. When we edit this, Ed, we'll put up the links to the, the URL there. All right, Ed, thanks so much. This has been great. And again, look forward to having you back on uh, the channel as the weather patterns change. Adam, look forward to it. All the best.